0: Welcome to the Green Scene Podcast by Protect Environmental, where we discuss indoor air quality and building science with subject matter experts and advocates from around the world. Our goal is to raise awareness and foster an ongoing conversation about the importance of creating and maintaining healthy, safe, and sustainable indoor air environments in the places we live, work, and learn. Here's your host and managing partner at Protect Environmental, Kyle Hoylman.
1: For our first podcast, we're focusing on a problem in a state that is near and dear to me, the fight against radon in Kentucky. Joining me today is Lindy Campbell, founder and president of Breath of Hope Kentucky. Lindy was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2017 at the age of 53 as a non-smoker. Today, her organization works to raise awareness, erase the stigma, and lead the community into action driven conversations that challenge all citizens of Kentucky to help in the fight to lower lung cancer cases and deaths. Our conversation today will focus on radon, the leading cause of lung cancer among non smokers. Welcome to the Green Scene, Lindy. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. You know, I know uh, we're keeping the podcast short and sweet. Uh, and so, with that, I'm going to just jump right in. Before we get started, let's briefly hit on the facts about radon. We know radon is a naturally occurring radioactive gas that intrudes into our buildings. We know exposure to radon has the potential to cause lung cancer as well as other health risks. We know radon is the leading cause of lung cancer among non smokers, second overall only to smoking. We know more than 21,000 annual deaths in the United States are attributed to radon, ranking it in the top seven for all cancer deaths. By the way, 500 of those deaths occur right here in Kentucky. And we also know that January is designated as National Radon Action Month in the U.S. And we're going to roll right into the questions. So, first question, how is your organization using National Radon Action Month to amplify the message about the health risk associated with radon and the importance of testing the buildings where we live, work, and learn?
2: Well, this year I've gotten way more involved because one of the things that's important to me is not just my future with research and medicine, but with prevention for those people who were are living life like I was, thinking radon, not even, I didn't even know what radon was, but so it became real important to me to try to team up with other organizations passionate about this topic. And I appreciate what you've allowed me to do. That definitely helps amplify this message. One of the things I did was actually film just a PSA with two other Kentucky lung cancer survivors who also do believe that radon was related to their lung cancer diagnosis. So there tends to be power in numbers. It's been good to have two other people to share my message. We've had the video that we put together has had over 13,000 views just through our sharing because people are watching what we do and hearing our stories and they can see themselves and their lives in us. So it's been important for me to put these survivors out in front of the people so they can see the real faces and lives affected by the statistics. One other thing I did was with an event I had in 2019, unfortunately, we couldn't have it this year, but with the money we raised, one of the organizations was a nonprofit radon awareness organization. Their radon Budget had been cut, and we were able to donate $6,000 to them so that they could improve upon their and update their radon messaging and training. I'm really proud about that because that's actually come to light this January. So they've spent the year, they've been able to utilize that money. So that's part of what I like to do is when we raise money, I put it back into the community, all for the sake of the citizens of Kentucky.
1: Now, you mentioned 13,000 views of the video that you produced. What platform are you using to get that type of uh, viewership? Because that's a pretty strong number.
2: Yeah, just to start from individuals, the three of us, I guess it's the feelings that are invoked in someone when they see the message coming from those of us affected. And right now, I just put that through all of my social media platforms and then their personal pages. So just from those type of personal social media pages, that's where we've gotten those views and then I will eventually load it to my website so that it's has kind of a permanent space to be viewed in the future.
1: I know that you've done some media interviews as well. I believe last year your message or your story was included in the Lexington market. Uh, Do you have plans to follow up on any of the media requests that you might have coming your way this year?
2: Well, I haven't received any of those requests right now. Unfortunately, I think there's so many other messages out there that (laughs) we're trying to squeeze in there and make radon and lung cancer be just as important. I have not had any opportunities so far through the media for that. Now, I did have one during Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and Anytime we do any kind of lung cancer awareness with our survivor messages, that radon message is always incorporated in there somehow. It doesn't go unspoken about in anything we do as survivors.
1: You mentioned you haven't received any requests from the media for interviews this year. Do you think that the amplification of the radon message is losing traction because of what's happening with uh, the COVID pandemic?
2: Unfortunately, I think it is. I think just like a lot of things are suffering, I think that too gets lost in all the other messages. And, you know, I think we still have to keep pushing through because we will come to the other side of this. But I've learned in this, if we don't keep the momentum going, nobody else will. So we have to just keep pushing that messaging. And sometimes through these PSAs that I do, that's why I do them. Because they're not out there readily available for people to see in their living rooms or on social media. And so that's part of what I use with my funds because I don't have those other platforms. So I create my own and rely on the people to share our messages. I will say I have so much going on that I jump on anything that comes my way. When I first got started, I was out there looking for any way to connect and have an opportunity to get my story told. But now that it's been told and have my whole face on the side of the wall at the airport, now I do find that people are kind of seeking me out, which is nice. But I kind of always have enough right in front of me to not have time to really go out and seek stuff, but uh, that sounds kind of lame to say that I don't have anything, but you're right. There's so much that's left to happen, not just what's caused a big stir in the media, but what still has to happen in the month of January, so...
1: Yeah, there's plenty of topics of interest going on right now. It seems like it changes just about every 10 minutes that you turn the media on. So, You've been successful with your PSA campaign in raising awareness about radon-induced lung cancer. How can we take what you've done so far to amplify the message with our federal and state policymakers uh, to get the same type of response and awareness about how to better protect building occupants from exposure to radon?
2: Well, I think they need to see and hear from the people who are affected, whether it's survivors or whether it's people who have found high levels of radon in their homes unknowingly, whether it was just through something they, some work they've seen us do. I do know of two homes in the louisville area where a friend of mine her daughters both bought new homes there in louisville and because of my diagnosis they both had their homes tested and their basements tested extremely high for radon and the current homeowners at that time they were buying the house from were just devastated at the thought of that they had no idea what radon was nor that their house had high levels and one of the women I just started weeping because her children's playroom is down there. So, of course, it was shocking to her, and they obviously took care of the issue. But these are the stories they need to hear, in particular our stories as well, because as I as I say over and over again, look in our faces. We are those statistics. We are those diagnoses and those cases and deaths from this disease. And I can't think of a better way to no- motivate people if they look into my face and they can see their wife or their mother or their daughter, perhaps their perception may change than if they're just seeing a statistic on a piece of paper.
1: Perfect. Hey, one thing that I I saw, I don't remember when it was. It was a couple, two, three years ago. We've done a couple campaigns over the years. We did the uh, Reduce Radon t-shirts, and we had pictures with famous people you know, we did the, like the Louisville uh, Cardinal bird and we did the wildcat, but it was all over the world. We had stuff that came back in from Africa and all kinds of places. Yeah, it it was neat. Neat. One of the other t-shirts that I saw, you talk about the story is, it was just a black t-shirt and it said, I am the face of lung cancer. And it made its way through social media it's probably been eh, maybe three four years ago and there were a lot of comments that just you know i'm throwing that out as an idea of something that you might you know tinker around with as a way to better draw attention to to your message and your voice because obviously you know some of the stuff that we've heard about the leah and chastity in your stories. It doesn't come across that well, these ladies have lung cancer. No, mm-hmm. you see progressive ladies who are, I mean Elizabeth young, mm-hmm. <laughs> young, attractive, intelligent, well spoken, mm-hmm. and and you don't typically tack lung cancer next to that. So mm-hmm. you know, just just something that you know hit me was that T-shirt. All right, next question, the stigma of lung cancer what is this stigma, how has it impacted you, and what are you doing to overcome it?
2: Well, the stigma, in my opinion, affects smokers and non-smokers a little differently, but it affects us all, and it stifles progress for this disease. Now, from my perspective, as someone who's never smoked, and what I see in other lung cancer survivors' diagnoses who have never smoked, is we are being diagnosed over and over again with advanced stage lung cancer simply because our primary care physicians and our pulmonologists do not look at us as someone who could have lung cancer. So there's extreme delays in getting the proper diagnosis. So you might go to the doctor over and over again for a cough that doesn't go away and antibiotics that don't work and then then you're put on a steroid and then you know, it takes a long time to finally get that CT scan. that's much needed. But then you might have a situation like in my case, when I finally got a CT scan, the pulmonologist kept saying, even while that nodule was growing, that it wasn't lung cancer. Even when we said, what about being exposed to radon and secondhand smoke? And I got continually met with, no, it'd be a very rare chance So fortunately for us, we got a second opinion and we're able to move a lot quicker. And thankfully, it was still a pretty early diagnosis. But most of the people who have never smoked, it is that stigma that lung cancer only happens in smokers that prevents us from getting the proper care quickly enough because there is no testing right now under the guidelines for someone who has never smoked to get a lung cancer early detection screening.
1: Have you ever had anybody just come up to you and blatantly kind of cop the attitude with you? Well, you have lung cancer, so you obviously brought this on yourself because you smoked. Have you ever had that type of conversation?
2: No, I have heard that over and over from people. And that's the sad thing about it also limits their advocacy ability. If they have had any sort of smoking history, that's a shame because that keeps them from really being able to advocate for the disease because they're they're met with, well, you smoked, you deserved it. I'm sure when I was first diagnosed, there were people that thought to themselves, oh, I didn't know that Lindy was a smoker, just following that same mentality of the stigma. But as far as face-to-face, no, and it makes me really sad. Uh, facing this diagnosis is hard enough, so people who have had any sort of smoking history, it makes me very sad to think that that's what they're met with when, unfortunately, to be honest, um, most of the people who are diagnosed today are either former smokers or never smokers. Only about 20% of current smokers are being diagnosed with lung cancer today. So why are we still fighting that same stigma? Well, it's it's a shame.
1: We know that more and more non-smokers are being diagnosed with lung cancer, How does amplifying the radon message help to end the stigma of lung cancer as a smoker's disease?
2: It certainly helps take the focus off smoking as the only cause of lung cancer, and it helps the public understand that they, too, are susceptible to getting lung cancer. You know, I hope that more survivors speaking up and sharing their stories will help us change the face of lung cancer. We've just been inundated with one certain message for so long, that I'm seeing some of the messaging change, but in any lung cancer situation, it's never enough and it's never fast enough because this disease is relentless. So we just have to continue to push through that stigma and create new messages and the language that we have when it comes to communicating about lung cancer. I've met people as young as in their late 20s all the way up into their 80s being diagnosed with lung cancer. So we like to say all you need are lungs to get lung cancer.
1: A lot of folks tuning into this podcast are radon professionals. How can this community get involved to best support lung cancer survivors who want to share their stories to amplify the radon message?
2: Well, I just say simply incorporate our faces and our stories into your marketing strategies. There's one of me, but there's thousands of radon professionals out there that can help with this messaging. And I can only go where I'm asked to go and be a part of that message. But I'm available. I'm here. The message is important to me. There are several other survivors here in Kentucky that are specifically believe their diagnosis is related to radon exposure. When they see the people it affects, I think it's then that they'll be able to see themselves or the people they love in our stories. Right now, it's not resonating. You're marketing, but you're doing more than marketing the radon message in terms of what they need to do about it in their own homes, but you're also pulling in the true stories of the lives that it affects. I was one of those people sitting in their home having no idea what radon was. Are you reaching those people? And If you are, is what you're saying resonating with it? Is it credible? Is it valid? Is it believable? And I truly feel like when they see and hear the stories of survivors and the people that have been affected, even people I know who've lost loved ones whose diagnosis was related to radon, hearing from them, I still incorporate in some of my messaging people who've families who've lost loved ones to the disease and just see how those who are left behind how it impacts their life, it just carries on. And it can be started with this message that we know is powerful, but it's how you get that message out there. And is it truly creating change? Is it motivating people to get up and do something about it? And I, what I would ask anybody in this business is the messaging you are doing, would it work for you if you were not in this profession? And I think that's important. If you're sitting at home, are you looking at the materials? Are you watching the things on the internet? Is it reaching you? We have to go to them. Nobody goes out looking for information about lung cancer until it's too late, till they're diagnosed or someone they love is diagnosed. So that message, it's our responsibility to get the message to the people. It's not their responsibility to come find it before it's too late. So it's a huge responsibility, but it's an important one, and anybody in this industry needs to take it serious. Unfortunately, it's too late for us. That message and the action didn't happen in a way that kept us from being diagnosed with lung cancer. Our diagnosis is here to stay, but our diagnosis could possibly prevent future cases and deaths from lung cancer.
1: Before we wrap up today, Lindy, take a few minutes to share with us more information about your organization. How can our community get more involved in supporting your work? Do you have any special events on the horizon that we should know about?
2: Well, Kyle, i started this organization for a reason, and that was when I was first diagnosed, I was in shock. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know where to find the answers. Nobody was really talking about lung cancer because most of what they would have had to say was not positive. And for about a year, it was one of the most extremely lonely situations I think I've ever felt. I was surrounded with family and lots of people who loved me, but nobody that really understood what I was going through. I didn't have somebody to say, well, what about this treatment? How were you diagnosed? There was no conversations available for me, especially right here in my immediate area of Kentucky. And I, I felt really disappointed to learn the statistics in Kentucky after my diagnosis. How did that messaging not make its way to somebody who's who was born and raised here in Kentucky? And all of those types of feelings after that first year made me say to my husband, I felt like we were gaining some momentum and how can we carry that farther? And I felt like in order to kind of be in this realm with people like you and other organizations that were getting that messaging out there about lung cancer, that me being a survivor myself, I knew where some of the messaging was missing and I knew what we as survivors needed Aside from community within ourselves, we needed a community that surrounded us, that cared about that, whether it was getting those messages out about prevention, helping us raise money for research, and what type of research was important to us. So all that stuff kind of culminated into deciding that I would start my own nonprofit organization. and. I started it for a couple of different reasons. Yes, bringing money into Breath of Hope Kentucky that I can then filter out into our community and make decisions on which things we supported, where things were being underfunded, where things needed more funding to make more advances, and then also use some of the money within our own organization to continue the awareness advocacy. So that's why we came up with Breath of Hope Kentucky. Obviously, we are the breath of hope. Our stories can provide hope to other people, whether it's preventing a future lung cancer diagnosis, whether it's supporting people who are currently uh, living with lung cancer, or even supporting the community of people who've lost loved ones, because nobody's talking to them. They don't have somebody celebrating their loved ones and remembering them. And so one of the first things I wanted to do, which I did accomplish November of 2019, was having an event that brought all different people in the community together for an event called Unite to Fight Kentucky. Runs are great. Other ways of raising money, that's all good, but you raise the money and then everybody leaves and everybody goes back to their lives. And one thing I wanted to see happen in that room that night was different people. It takes a village. It takes all of us to fight this wildfire of a disease. And so even from physicians that are dentists who see their patients on a regular basis, who can help with early signs of lung cancer for somebody who's never smoked if they know about it. The business community, the mayor was there, other business leaders, people who've lost loved ones. They bought tables in memories of their loved ones. So it was a night of uh, over 250 people who came together. It was our first ever event. And I had people afterwards going, I can't believe this. This is amazing. How did you do this? How did you bring this many people together? And you might have somebody at one table that had lost a loved one to the disease who over at another table met somebody from a local business that, oh, I didn't know you. What are you doing here? And those connections being made that night were just incredible. And we raised $25,000 for that first event. It took a lot of just really selling Breath of Hope Kentucky and helping people understand why I was doing it. But unfortunately, we we had a date set for Unite to Fight 2020. And that couldn't happen. But we are setting our sights on November 2021. And I just feel like it's going to be incredible. Because looking at the connections I've been able to build, even since that last event, I even had emails of people saying, hey, I want to be one of the first people you contact for next year. I'm so excited about knowing what that can do. And it's celebrating lung cancer in a different way. And I say, you got to recognize the lows, celebrate the highs, but keep moving forward for progress. And that's what we did that night. You have to honor the memory and understand there's a lot of sadness in that room for people who've lost loved ones. But then it's also exciting to see what's to come. I really hope now that I've met nearly 20 survivors since that event, there was only one other survivor there that night that will even have a lot of survivors in attendance to celebrate.
1: Tell us a little more about how our community can get involved in supporting your work.
2: Well, just this right here, the things that you've allowed me to do with our stories and our messaging has been incredible. I would encourage Other people, anyone who has any sort of platform to get this message out. And again, incorporate those of us who are affected, whether it is somebody who's lost a loved one to lung cancer or somebody like me and the other two lung cancer survivors from Kentucky that truly believe radon played a specific role in our diagnosis. But we're here. We want our stories told. And as far as the event, when that comes around, just people willing to come be a part of it, buy a ticket, sit there, learn more about how they can be a part of uniting. We all individually are doing great things, but imagine if we come together just like you and I have with our messaging, how that can, in fact, amplify it even more. The biggest things for me that I highlighted was, again, there's one of me, but there's many people out there that can jump on board with this messaging so and then just that whole idea of of uniting in this messaging because if you're only tapping into people that you're selling, selling mitigation systems to and the physicians are only tap the oncologists are only tapping to the people who've already been diagnosed and then you have the genetic mutations that nobody has any clue about you know just and again I I really believe, I would really like to see down the road, even the radon message incorporated with there are physicians who see patients on a regular basis and they get to know their patients just like my primary care physician got to know me. Who are those? They're dentists, they're OBGYNs, they're, I don't know, just different physicians that don't even understand this messaging that really could play a big role in that patient who really respects them that could say, you know, you've had this cough, like a dentist, you know, you keep talking about this cough that hasn't gone away. If you thought about da-da-da, that's how you kind of unite in this fight. Somebody who thinks they really don't even have a role to play really could. And even just your the people that have heard from my story that have learned from it has been huge. So anybody can play their part. The biggest thing I think you've heard me say, too, is just talking about it with us. We get talked about, but now that more and more people are surviving, before maybe they talked about us as statistics because so few were living or living very long, so they weren't able to be incorporated in the messaging. But we're ready to be talked with about this subject, not just about. I knew that I had to start where it hit hardest, and that is the state that I that I was born and raised in in terms of us ranking number 1 for cases and deaths and if I could start here and use my voice and my story and my advocacy to start to see change happen in Kentucky and people were to see our statistics improve what a standard that might set for other states to say wow Kentucky ranked number 1 and look what's look what's happening i know that that's happening right now with lodo ct scans And we've gotten a lot of attention nationally about how well that's working, but that is impacting part of the population. But can we say that for the people who have never smoked? Are we getting that message out too? Because for somebody like me, it's equally as important. So to kind of why Breath of Hope Kentucky, why stay in Kentucky? We can take the Kentucky message and make a national presence that is just as effective based on the results and the models and the standards that we set for what we're doing here in the face of this disease. And then that in and of itself, what we do creates a national message just through the results of our efforts.
1: Thank you so much, Lindy, for joining us with our first ever podcast of The Green Scene. More importantly though, thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for the work that you do through your organization. It's uh, a privilege to work with you and know you. And this will be very beneficial for others to hear how we can help with uh, supporting the work that you continue to do.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you attaching my story to your messaging for people to hear. And um, I hope a lot of change can come from it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Green Scene podcast by Protect Environmental, where we discuss indoor air quality and building science with subject matter experts and advocates from around the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to click subscribe and join in on the conversation and be notified when future episodes are released. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave us a review. And if you'd like to learn more about the impact of radon and chemical vapor intrusion on indoor air quality, head over to Protect Environmental and check out our resources page. And remember, stay tuned and join us next time.